There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. We're talking about a Ducks win, 4-2 to over the New Jersey Devils, or uh, as we like to call it, Anaheim Ducks East, as the Ducks were playing against five former Anaheim Ducks players. The Ducks come out, man. They dominate this game. I felt like from start to finish, this was just a just a key performance for Anaheim heading into a road trip. What a way to cap it off, Eddie. Ducks get the much-needed points here as well against another team that's challenging in, the, in, in for a playoff spot with Taylor Hall. We've all been talking about the Hart Trophy. What a game, man. How do you feel about this one? I mean, I, I wish I could plug in Will Ferrell say we're going streaking. <laughs> and It's a three-game <laughs> win streak now after coming off a three-game losing streak. When we started the show, it was also a three-game win streak. So I feel like uh, we're a little bit of a streaky start so far. So hopefully this doesn't mean we're going to go and lose three in a row now because that would uh, be an unfortunate trend to start the post-game show. But it, it's great. I mean, this was, I guess, the toughest game of the last three. You know, Vancouver and Detroit, you would assume they were probably must-wins, and the Ducks came out and got two big wins there. But this was the toughest opponent of the three. New Jersey's fighting for a spot pretty much in the same position the Ducks are, but in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and, and I think it was one of their best performances in a long time. I mean, they dominated play. Not much you could really do on the two New Jersey goals, especially the one uh, where Maroon scored. That was a great pass by Vaughn. And so I think all, all in all, really just a great effort and, and a good way to lead into this str- tough road trip coming up. No, absolutely. And this game had some nastiness, too. We saw some yeah. nastiness with the Detroit game, as we talked about yesterday morning, uh, with the fights that were involved there, big hits, uh, Nick Ritchie going after uh, Witowski a bit. and. And then you go into this game and you get some nastiness and, and nastiness in this game too. And it kind of all started with uh, with Pedersen with a nice hit at center ice, which we will get to here in a bit. But uh, I love this type of hockey. The past two games are just what gets your blood pumping. You know the playoffs are close. 
you're out of that long stretch between February and March. You know, after once the deadline passes, it's kind of like, all right, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's get to the playoffs. Let's get in gear. There's nine games left on the uh, on the dock here for the Ducks to you know gain as many points as possible. Um, heading into this one, though, they would face off against former Anaheim Ducks players Kyle Palmieri, Sammy Votnin, and Pat Maroon, Ben Lovejoy. And who am I missing there? Oh, there you go, Stefan Nason. So yeah. all five of those guys used to play in Anaheim. <laughs> sure, some of them were buddies. You saw them talking a bunch in this game, so that was interesting to see off and on. The Ducks would be without JT Brown, Antoine Vermette, and Corbinian Holzer. And, of course, Kevin Bieksa is still out after undergoing hand surgery. Gibby and Kincaid get the start in that. Were you not surprised by that, Kincaid getting the start, considering he just played yesterday in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I thought that Schneider was definitely going to get the start. I think in the last show we were talking about if Kincaid was to go against L.A. that we would expect to see Corey Schneider. And I guess they're going with a hot hand. It didn't work out in this game, obviously. But the Devils as a whole looked tired in that third period. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting decision. Like, I understand they're in a in a fight for the playoffs like the Ducks are, but... I don't know how you leave Corey Schneider on the bench no matter how well Kincaid's playing, especially the fact that he played last night and he faced a, a pretty heavy workload. He stopped 37 shots in a shutout against L.A., so it wasn't an easy night for him. Uh, so interesting to see him go. Uh, I've, you know, It's one of those things that works out, you know, you're a genius. But the fact that they ended up losing, I think that's uh, something they're going to reflect on. Yeah, and then more we continue... Um, in this game here, the Ducks dominate right out right out of the gate. There was a lot of interesting things that happened in here, but not without damage done to the Sanaheim lineup. We'll get to that and more right after the start of the show. Let's get it going, Eddie. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. So right from the intro and into the start of what was a exciting first period early on too i mean it just was kind of that type of game right off the, right out, out of the gate no absolutely this one is just something we've been waiting to talk about i was a little nervous to be honest with you going into this game with just how well taylor hall's been dragging this team along you know not to say there's not other good players in this in this uh, lineup for the devils but i mean just with how well he's been playing and how they're in just like you said the same fight as anaheim i knew this was going to be a good test for the ducks to wrap up the homestand and before they head out to the road to the road trip and they started off great getting into this first period though i thought that Votnin scored there was yeah. a play i even wrote the notes what the hell because i <laughs> swore i heard a whistle but there was an offside that uh, apparently the players didn't hear about and he takes a shot and goes through gibby and manson and Vatnin go careening into the boards they both seem all right Vatnin gets up and shakes it off a little bit um Fortunately, that was offside yeah. because that was a squeaker through Gibby. It remained 0-0. Uh, Cox had a chance later, and Kincaid makes a big save with that blocker. He uses that a lot. Uh, he, 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 did you see that in this game? Kincaid seems to make those chances go away with his blocker. He kind of gets down on 
when he when he drops, he's able to move that blocker just above the pad. He's made a couple of those good saves tonight. Yeah, I mean, he seems to be a blocker-heavy goalie. I watched a little bit of him in the game against L.A., and you kind of saw the same things. But, I mean, going back quickly to that Botanin chance early on, I was just setting up, getting ready for the game. I was like, all right, got my computer set up, ready to put the gifts up on Twitter, got everything ready to go. And I watched Botanin come in and just rip it, and I had the sound off at the time, so I didn't even hear the whistle. And I think I was among a lot of people who were like, okay, wow, what a, you know, this is the start we're going to have. And of all people, it's going to be Sammy Votnin who gets the first goal. I mean, of, of likely it was offside, but I think, you know, me and, and a lot of people and even some of the Ducks players weren't sure if that was actually in or not to start the game. No, fortunately that was not the case. And, you know, I mentioned Josh Manson going careening into the boards. Uh, more on that later. I, I, I kind of felt like that maybe had something to do with what happened to him later in this game. But uh, we'll get back to that in a moment. we got to talk about a Ducks goal because, of course, who would not be in the middle of all of what's going on here if it wasn't for Corey Perry, Ricard Raquel, and Ryan Getzloff? Stretch pass to Perry, cuts to the middle, gives it off to uh, to Raquel in front of the net. Raquel makes the shot. Kincaid makes the save. Puck gets cleared right up the middle to none other than Ryan Getzloff. With a, I mean, a, just a 4 by 6 staring at him right in the face. Basically an empty net goal. It's one nothing Ducks. There's a question for offside on this one, too. At least the broadcast was saying there was. I totally thought it was when I watched it. Because Perry takes the puck. uh, I guess he kind of skates backwards, and he receives the puck and skates backwards into the zone at the exact same time. And I think it was close. I'm surprised they didn't use their challenge to review it. Obviously, they got a better angle than I did. But either way, this line continues to click. Getzlaff just, I mean, he has a wide open net. He's not going to miss that. And it's great to see him get on the board again. And this line just to continue to have their great play as of late. We'll we'll break it down a little bit later and how well Getzlaff and Raquel specifically have been playing as of late. But you know, if any line is going to get it on the board early, you have to expect it's going to be this one. Kind of unfortunate the puck was cleared away by the defense there and not yeah. just the rebound because there was a, it was an unassisted goal on Getzlaff's play. There is eleventh of the season, which is very Getzlaff esque. Um, you know, he's just hitting around the double digit mark in the uh, in the playoff stretch run. Uh, typical Getzloff, but we'll take it, of course, from the captain who's been lights out. This game, as we said in the pregame, was pretty physical, and it all started going really early, too. But, I mean, the big stuff happened with Pedersen after, but, I mean, I felt like from the get-go this had a playoff feel, no? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you would expect that. I mean, not that these teams have any history, but like we had mentioned earlier on, I mean, the Ducks and the Devils right now are in almost an identical position where they're both just kind of hanging on to that final wildcard spot really just hoping either to get in that way or to get into that final spot in their respective divisions. So, you know, this is a tough game for both of them. I mean, these are huge points that, I mean, you know, the Ducks win isn't going to affect the standings in the Metro division, but, you know, those are huge, huge loss points for New Jersey. No, absolutely. And you know who else was really noticeable in this game? It was the Henry, Kasha, and Richie line. They stood out all over the ice. They dominated this entire game. I felt like every time they were on the ice, they had the puck creating chances. So that's also good news for Ducks fans. Even though they didn't get on the board tonight, it's still good to see that they're churning the wheels and getting moving and getting those chances. That's always good news. Um, The Ducks also just crushing along, man. I noticed at one point, five minutes into the game, they had an 11-to-1 shot advantage, which is just not something we've seen lately from this Ducks team. One of the better starts I think they've had in a long time definitely in the last five games maybe i'd have to go back and look at the, the previous three game winning streak to start uh, our time here on the show but this has been 
their best first period in a long time. And, you know, they, I mean, it pays off because they do come out up 2 nothing. But up to that point, you know, 11-1 shot advantage, they completely deserved it because New Jersey had nothing going up until that point other than the Vaughton chance 16 seconds in. No, it's true. They just had that, you know, the train moving along from the opening of the, uh, the face-off. And this is something we haven't said in a long time. Getzloff with a turnover. Yeah. Creates a chance. He was in on the Devils' blue line. Creates a chance there. Bose tries to pinch to save it. Misses. And then it's a two-on-one for none other than Taylor Hall and Zajac. And Hall threads the needle to Zajac. And Gibby had to make... I wouldn't say an uncontrolled save. He just didn't look as positional as he has been, but he still gets just enough of the. T- looks like the top of the glove of the pad, and it goes up and over, deflected over the top of the crossbar, and he gets the save there. Everyone exhales with a sigh of relief as we did not want to let this team get in on the Ducks after the Ducks have been rolling. Yeah, I think the first question we have to ask was: Was it a drop pass? Was it a drop <laughs> pass turnover by Ryan Getzlaf? Because I feel like you know that's hopefully in the past. I, I mean, obviously it wasn't in this one, but those are the, always the questions. When Getzlaff turns it over, he doesn't do it often. And I feel like at least 50% of the time, it's got to be a drop pass. I mean, when when do you see him turn over the puck on, on a regular occasion? It's yeah. I mean, all that ever stands out of my mind was the drop pass in overtime against the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the, one. that's the one that stands out in everybody's mind. But, I, I mean, Gibby, doing what he does, right? I mean, this was a, a huge save. Gets just a piece of it. On his, uh, I think it was his glove. He got a piece of it on, but I mean, again, we bring it up the Vesna conversation, the discussion with John Gibson, how well he's played of late, played great in this game, and uh, it just continues to keep rolling. And that's what they had to get from him, right? I mean, they needed yeah. a key save early, up one nothing, and you know that would pay dividends here. As Manson, we get the puck. We have another Ducks goal coming up here. Point shot going well wide of the net. Perfect, perfect deflection. By none other than Ooh Ah Jacob Silverberg goes five hole on Kincaid and now it's two nothing Anaheim. Yeah, and again, this uh, you get Silverberg getting on the board again. We talked about how important it is for him to get going, and specifically that line with Kessler and Cogliano. They've started to turn things around, and he gets the deflection off that Manson goal. And there's a couple deflections in this one where the Ducks are just getting pucks to the net and hoping they hit people. And I mean, at this point, everything was going right for Anaheim, and and hopefully. We say this every time Silverberg scores, I feel like, but hopefully this is the turnaround for him. That's his 16th of the season. It would be really, really nice to see him hit 20 and heat up going into the playoffs, but he's got a long way to go. No, it's true. His shooting percentage is down right now as well, yeah. but he's on pace for almost probably around 20 goals. He should be right there. So it's not far-fetched from where he was. It just feels like he's not getting the opportunities or he's not converting on as many as had. I mean, I just, it's one or the other. It's kind of a night in and night out basis, right? Sometimes you see him make a shot. And then like the one against the game in Detroit several weeks ago, where he went forehand to backhand and he should have just tried to, to shoot it. I mean, he just was like holding the stick too tight for a bit, I guess. But I mean, like you said, hopefully this is the one that gets his, uh, his goal scoring, you know, as Tammy would say, pump it out of the catch up bottle, right? Hit the catch and it starts coming out. And this is when the ducks are going to need it. So Ducks would lead 2-0 here. Physicality continues Lovejoy, which I have never seen him as a hitter when he was in Anaheim either. I never felt like he was a guy that was going to crush anybody. Crushes Derek Grant behind the net. Easily could have been interference, but no call. And then uh, the Ducks would um, (laughs) go ahead and take a penalty. Kasha would take the call there. Nothing really going, though, for either one. I mean, the Ducks have been really dominant on the penalty kill. 
I mean, right? I mean, there was I, I don't I wish I would have wrote down the the stat that Hayward and Allers were talking about. They were saying it was like several games they'd gone without yeah. giving up a power play a goal. I wish it, they would they would go up to sixteen to three in the shot advantage though, Eddie, with three fifty eight to go in the first period. I feel like this was a great period for the Ducks. And I don't know if you could ask much more for that. They would cause some problems for themselves, though, at the end of it, staying in the penalty box that would cause them to have a five on three going into the second. But overall, a two nothing lead and a 17 to six shot advantage. I'd gladly take that against this New Jersey Devils team. Yeah, I think anybody would. And, and I think they did what you would want against a team who played the other night. They came out strong early on, they kept the pressure up. They controlled shot attempts throughout the entire first period. New Jersey had almost no chances. I think their only chance really was the Zajac and Hall two-on-one that Gibby had to make a good save on. Other than that, they just didn't get anything going, and that's obviously shown in the fact that they only got six shots. But not a good way to end the first period, allowing New Jersey to start the second on a five-on-three. I mean, not much you can do. Henry had, had the hook. And then you had Montour clipped him with with a high stick. So there are both penalties that you know that you have to call, but you're allowing New Jersey to get back in the game by giving them it was I think it was a minute twenty six of a five on yep. three to start the second. So they're coming out rested, trying to turn the tide from a bad first period. Uh, luckily, it doesn't end up hurting them, but that's a, not a great way to finish the first period. No, and it's something the coaching staff had addressed after last game, giving up five penalties, uh, or five power plays, rather, to the Detroit Red Wings. Luckily, the Red Wings weren't able to convert on those. And then you're looking at it here, and you're like, come on, guys, you got to stay out of the box. This is something you can't be doing, especially at the end of a period. You don't want to give a team fresh ice. But then we all got the bad news. Uh, to start the second period, no Manson to start. He was not on the bench. They said he was being evaluated, and they would update further later. And I felt like I kept looking up Josh Manson on Twitter over and over and over again. And we wouldn't hear until the third period that he would not return. Um, and I think I kind of want to talk a little bit about his injury right now, not how it affects the lineup necessarily. We can get to that after we, get, we go through the game. Uh, but I wanted to kind of see if you felt like you saw where he got hurt, because the only thing I saw where he may be been injured was when he went into the boards with Sammy Vaughn. Other yeah. than that, it did, I couldn't really tell where else he would have gotten hurt. I didn't see anything. I mean, Gordon was asking us, Gordon Bobby in the chat was asking us what exactly happened to Manson because he didn't see it either. I think most people felt the exact same way on Twitter where we I didn't even really know he was out until they said he was out. I wasn't really noticing him in the game or not. And obviously he left. He only played five minutes before he ended up leaving. So, yeah, I didn't see it. I, I would guess it'd be in that play. You know, it's still oh, you know vague. What? Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. You know what? There was a play where he jumped up into the offensive zone to retrieve a puck. Yeah. And was hit pretty hard. And it spun him around, and he went backwards into the boards. Into Maybe. the double zone. Do you it remember that play? It was lower body, right? Like, it was... Upper body. Upper body. Okay, no, I didn't remember yeah. that play. But, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't anything noticeable. That's the thing, too. Like, normally, like, Fowler in the last game, you know, he got crunched by Wachowski. We saw that. We knew that's where he got hurt. Went to the bench. Obviously, was fine. It's kind of worrying and it adds like an air of mystery to the fact that we don't really know where he got hurt, yet it, they felt it was enough to leave him out of the game. And maybe it was precautionary. I mean, the Ducks were rolling at the time up 2 nothing, but usually, you know, so early, if he could come back, you'd expect him to be back in the game. I want to say, I wish I that uh, I had written down um, when he'd gotten hit. I mean, had I known, I would have rewound and figured it out. 
Yeah. But I'm going to go back and check out that play after the show and see if he had played any shifts after that. Because the way he, the way I remember him going backwards into the boards, it was a hard hit. And he was trying to retrieve the puck and got turned around. And maybe he hit his head. And that's always something. And we're just speculating. At least I'm just speculating. I don't know what's wrong with him. Um, I hope it's nothing serious. But when you say upper body injury, yeah, I mean, that's the first thing that pops to my mind. He's not coming back out. It, he didn't look like he hit his shoulder. So hopefully he just, you know bumped his head pretty good and they were nervous about putting him back out and it's nothing serious i mean the ducks really can't afford to lose a defenseman but i mean honestly we wish the best for manson we don't you know he doesn't need a concussion either it's not like we're putting health over the ducks but it's just not a good situation either way you look at this no and the upper body injury thing is always scary when you don't really know what play you got hurt on because it could be a concussion and you never know how long he's going to be out and this team without josh manson it's going to be tough. I mean, it's not like that he he's contributing, you know, enough that it, the Ducks can't win without him. But it's he's definitely a very strong piece of the Ducks blue line. And when you look at who would be most likely to replace him, it'd be Kerbinian Holzer at this point. And that's a, a scary proposition when you look at how many games the Ducks have remaining and how big the schedule is coming up. When you've got Winnipeg, Calgary, L.A., Dallas, Colorado, and if Manson can't play any of those games, you've got Holzer. Who has to come in and, and play some significant minutes? You've got Pedersen who has to up his minutes. You've got Boschman who has to play on a nightly basis now and up his minutes as well. It's nerve wracking, I think, for a lot of people. I think that's where everybody's really sitting now. It's just waiting for Eric Stevens or for the Ducks to, to make an announcement, whether it be tonight or tomorrow. We're definitely going to have to find out what's going on. I'm sure they'll let us know. We'll never know the true extent until maybe later, yeah, if at all. But hopefully it's shorter, and hopefully he's healthy and everything's good. We'll talk more about that at the end of this. But we got to get moving on here. And the best news to follow that up is the Ducks survived the 5-on-3 and the 5-on-4 and then started buzzing. I just felt like the Ducks started taking over the game throughout this second period. Um, puck possession-wise, I felt like the Ducks were not giving a lot over to the New Jersey Devils, who were trying to press back. Grabner with kind of a big chance on a mini I called him mini two-on-one because he was already in the Ducks zone quite a bit. Gibby had to make a good save there on Grabner. Um, and then another weird injury happened. Did you see Miles Wood get hurt by Boschman? No, kind of it's, like a, I didn't even see was, that one either. <laughs> it was They showed the replay on the feed. I'm not sure what feed you were watching, but um, Boschman was skating through the neutral zone. With, I think it was Miles Wood, and, and he had his arm out, and it looks like Boschman collided with his elbow. It looked maybe like a hyperextension. I mean, there was gloves on the ice. He went straight to the bench, didn't even pick up any of his equipment there. So hopefully he's okay. I mean, that's not a fun injury either. But um, I didn't know if you had seen that. Moving on, the Ducks take a, you know what we call the lazy penalty. Too many men on the ice, of course. Doubles with a power play. And then all of that good talk about how well the penalty kill's been doing and how much the Ducks have been working on it. All goes for naught, as why not have a former Anaheim Duck player score a goal. Zajac to Palmieri, 2-1. Now, Devils get on the board. Yeah, and that was the uh, trend of the night for the Devils, where you had former Ducks hurting the Ducks on both goals. Uh, credit to Palmieri for getting in, in good space there. Gibson actually does a great job, and I think he gets a stick on it and almost keeps it out, and it just kind of grinds its way into the net for, for Palmieri. And that was really a dagger against the the flow of play at that point. The Ducks were controlling the game, like you'd said. They survived those uh, 
two-man advantage and, and another power play leading up until this one. But you can't keep giving them chances. I mean, the, the Devils have guys you can hurt who can hurt you in Hall, Zajac, and Paul Mary. You've got Vaughton in as well on the power play. So, yeah, I, I mean, you can't give them this many opportunities. And, and especially with how well the Ducks were doing at 5-on-5, five five, you knew if the Devils were going to score, it was going to come on the power play. Yeah, and, you know, the Ducks, one of their main strengths has been the penalty kill. So we were hoping that it would go head-to-head and the Ducks would overcome. This would be the one time it doesn't. Um, pretty much Ducks go right back over and take over the game, though. I mean, they get a power play. Vatnan gets called for the hook on Raquel. Ducks really start buzzing again. Perry with several chances, as well as Raquel. They're unable to convert. But uh, they go on and finish out the second period up 2-1. to one, And the shots were 7-7. Seven, seven. Ducks overall leading 24-13 to 13 in the shot department. Overall, that was a good second period. And a good thing to th- see, too, is after the Palmieri goal, they continued to carry the play, and they continued to, to start getting back to what had, had been so success, successful up until this point. I mean, it's not like they just laid off. They were disappointed in, in the fact that it's now 2-1, to one, and what we've seen so often from the Ducks is they're just going to sit on the lead and get caved in in the third period. And right after that goal, they just picked up where they left off, which I think is so refreshing to see because we really haven't seen that, that, that from them in a while. It has been a long time since we've had a dominant game all the way through. There wasn't like an uptick in the opposition shot advantage or chance advantage. Going into this third period, that's when they announced John Spanson was out with an upper body injury. Um, but right away, you get Raquel stretched past the parry on a break. Kincaid with another low blocker save. Very close. Really got the feeling about Perry's just got all of the gears going for him. He loves these nasty games. He loves the playoff type feel. Um, I mean, he gets into it later here in the period with a couple of uh, Devils players, Pat Maroon being one of them. Even though Perry didn't get a goal tonight, I really, really liked his game today. And hopefully, as we said about Silverberg, this is more to come from him. Yeah, he's really been getting into that pest role a little bit more and just kind of getting into games. And I feel like it's because these games are starting to feel more like playoff hockey. And we saw that last year where he'd struggled throughout the regular season and then come playoff time, he just turned into a completely different player. And it's one, it's one of the Ducks' best players. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that he's going to be that type of guy again this year in the stretch and into the playoffs if the Ducks can make it. Because it's going to be so important that he becomes a pivotal piece of this offense, especially if he's going to be playing up there with Raquel and Getzlaff. He can't just be a passenger. He's going to have to be a guy that makes uh, makes a difference and gets on the score sheet. Do you feel like he's been rope-a-doping? Like for the whole season, just kind of like yeah. laying low, laying low, then slowly starting to get the the engine moving, and now he's hitting top gear, heading into the into the playoff run. I mean, I'm sure he would tell you no. I'm sure everybody thinks I'm crazy for saying that, but you kind of get the feeling, like with Corey Perry, that he just loves this type of hockey. And he kind of sits around and saves all his energy for the final rounds. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, he's been one of the guys that's been relatively healthy all season for the Ducks as well. So he's been in the bad, and he's been in the good. So I think things are just starting to feel better, I think. The fact that the Ducks are winning, he's sitting pretty on that top line with Getzloff and Raquel, so he's finally feeling like things are going in the right direction. And that the style of hockey, is, I think, is what suits him better. These close games, these games that matter, the playoff-type atmosphere, I, I think that's why we're kind of seeing him a little bit more than we have earlier on. And hopefully it continues, because they're going to need it. As we move on from that play, John Moore, the Devils, absolutely buried Silverberg in the corner. Ducks would get another power play. 
that's the physicality going up there. That was almost, I wouldn't say dangerous, but that could have been dangerous. That's the way Silverberg was like a good three, four feet away from the boards. Luckily, he's unharmed. And this is where we talk about another Anaheim Ducks goal. Who else? Ricard, Raquel, to Getzloff with the no-look pass to Montour, streaking him from the point. What a pass by Getzloff. It's 3-1 to one Anaheim. I want to counter on how many times, at least in the game and on the postgame show, that we say what a pass from Ryan Getzloff, whether it leads to a goal or it leads to a chance. I feel like it's at least once or twice a game because he pulls these off on a nightly basis. No look pass. He's not even looking at Montour. Knows he's there. Throws it across. All Montour has to do is just bury it into the open net. And now Montour now has three goals in his last three games. So things are starting to look upward for him too. Cha-ching, 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 yeah. offseason. That's all that is. Yeah. Bob Murray's sitting there feeling his wallet get a little lighter every single game that Montour plays like this. What a game for Montour and Fowler as well. They, they had dominant games. Getzloff with that no-looker, he's now got two points on the night. Just feeling it. This Ducks team was really feeling it tonight. And just as we all got excited and the woos start coming around in Anaheim as they do when the Ducks get a lead and the crowd's feeling good and Ric Flair has to pop up in someone's mind, the Devils go ahead and get a goal. And not just any Devil, but former Anaheim Duck Pat Maroon, who was rumored to come to Anaheim at the trade deadline. And Sammy Votnin, who was traded for Adam Henrique, as none of us would ever forget, creates the perfect pass from Maroon for an easy tap-in goal, and now it's 3-2. to two. Yeah, and there's so many former Ducks on this Devils team that it seems like they're always going to be involved in at least one of their goals. Because you got guys, not just you know guys like Nason and, and some lower-down guys. you got Votnin, you've got Maroon, you've got Palmieri, guys that were at one point top four, top six for the Ducks, now sitting littered throughout the Devils team, victimizing the Ducks. And this one obviously doesn't end up hurting them, but you got Palmieri getting the first goal, you got Maroon getting the second goal from Vodnin. It's a little bit of a deja vu. You kind of expect these guys to be on the other end of a goal for the Ducks, and seeing them score for the Devils is a, a little bit weird, to say the least. Ah, uh, It's weird, but it, it, like you said, it, it's got to be expected with five guys in the lineup. Yeah. Um, but after this goal, the Ducks would come right back. They would start controlling the neutral zone. And it was really nice to see Marcus Pedersen get a highlight real play here as he absolutely decks Coleman through the body at center ice. Clean check. And that would be a sign of things to come. Ducks continuing to, to uh, carry the play here. Ricard Raquel with the deflection. Basically almost as good as, as uh, Jacob Silverberg's. On a Fowler point shot, chaos ensues after the goal goes in. I don't know if you saw, but Pat Maroon absolutely buries Corey Perry on the ice. Perry was slow to get up, full-on cross-check in the back, moments before the goal, and then Getzloff and Maroon get into it. What a play. This is the kind of stuff we've been talking about. Another great deflection and then chaos, and we're hoping for a fight that didn't happen. But but still, this is, the, this is my favorite hockey. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the type of hockey that the Ducks love, too. This is the type of hockey that they live for, where it's uh, one of those games where it's just gritty, it's on the edge, guys just hate each other, and uh, yeah, I mean, you saw it throughout the game, but you saw it really kind of boil over at this point. Obviously, no fight, but with Maroon taking down Perry, and then I believe at, at one point, too, I don't know if it was Maroon, but one of the Devils players gives him a nice little butt end as well, and uh, Getzloff wasn't having any of that. 
got separated with Maroon. I would I would have loved to see a Getzlaff and Pat Maroon fight. I think a, a lot of people would have. Yeah, that would have been a big Riggy's a big boy. Yeah, let's, but when let's Get, not Getzlaff's joke about a that big one. man, and when he when he's angry, I don't know if I mean, he's not much of a fighter, but I wouldn't want to get Getzlaff's way when he's pissed off. I mean, he went after Chara when he was angry. That didn't go too well for him. And I think it's funny how Getzlaff, who's like six four, six five, squares off with Chara and just looks tiny. So, I mean, it, it's it's crazy. It would have been nice to see them fight, but just uh, anybody great. who stands with the Chara basically looks like yeah. the lollipop deal from. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I would love to from see of uh, a Nathan Gerby Zidane Chara fight. Like Nathan Gerby's like five seven. Charles six oh, nine, he's a whole foot oh, in, boy. in a bit higher than Nathan Gerby. I Does remember... Gerby get a chance to like skate full speed and jump and like yeah. try to do like an <laughs> Adukin from uh, from Street Fighter and go up onto Charles Chan? Because there's no way that was going to go well for him. I'd pay to see that. I mean, I would. <laughs> that would be great. That'd be so comical. I, I mean, I'd, it would I'd not be bad. good for Gerby. No, but hey, maybe he can just attack so... the legs. So you know, <laughs> that's the strategy. <laughs> The Ducks would continue dominating this game up 4-2. to two. They salted that one away. That was the death nail for the Devils. They continue on this win streak. They out-chance them 28-16. That is incredible. That is a great game for Anaheim. As you said, when we look over at the analytics side of things, 5-on-5, five five, you just look at that line of uh, shot share going up and up and up and up for the Ducks all the way to the end. Uh, just an incredible performance for the Ducks. This is something they need to, they, they're really going to need to have the nasty and the good game going against Calgary on Wednesday. But this game, I don't know how else to talk about it other than I was just really, really excited and tuned in the whole time. It was like just was waiting for the next play to go because it was just that type of game from our Ducks. Yeah, just a, a great effort. I mean, this is one of their better games in a while where they're able to just dominate for the entire game. And we've talked before where they've played really well for two periods at times. And then just got caved in in the third period. I believe the the one that comes to mind for me was the Columbus game was like that. The Nashville game to some extent was like that as well. And then you finally get a game where the Ducks just play well consistently throughout the game. And you can't really do much on the Palmieri goal and the Maroon goal. I mean, you can't blame Gibson. The Palmieri one was on a power play. He was left wide open. Great pass from Vaughn on the second goal. So other than those two plays, not a lot of mistakes from the Ducks. They limit... Uh, they limited New Jersey to under 20 shots. Uh, I mean, with some of the talent they have, I think Taylor Hall had one shot in this game. Nico Hischer was a yep. non-factor. The only play I saw him involved in was Getzlaff just absolutely dumping him, uh, <laughs> I think, in the first period. That's it. That's all I saw from arguably their two best players. Uh, and just a great performance. I mean, this is two teams battling, and you just utterly dominate the game. It's a great sign going into the road trip. The only bummer that I got to bring up, oh, there's there's a couple bummers. Okay. I give you had an eight eight two save finish tonight, not helping his quest yeah. for a Vesna or a Vesna dark horse or to be in the conversation. But with the Ducks limiting the shot count down that low, and him giving up two goals, only you know one of them was on the power play, but you still got to count them all. It's just the way it goes. An eight eighty two save percentage. Um, Ken Kate actually had a better save percentage at eight eight nine. So, unfortunately for Gibby, the Ducks were so good defensively the ones that got by him uh, just didn't make his numbers look good. But he had a great game too. I'm not trying to bash him, but it's like I made me sad because I'm like that's not really going to boost his save percentage overall in the NHL. But the more important thing is every single Duck, every single team player will let you know the two points are far more important. 
Um, and that'll put a bow in this game. 4-2 win for the Ducks. Let's get to our post-game, Eddie. Let's start talking a little bit about the fire that Raquel and Getzloff have brought here in the past you know, 10 games. Plus, Raquel with nine goals in his last 10. Getzloff with 17 points in 11 games. Can you say anything more that hasn't already been said about these guys in the past six weeks? Or are we just out of things to compare them to or out of compliments? I, I feel like we're out of compliments. I mean, we've mentioned them pretty much every game since we've started the show and even beforehand. They've just been unstoppable over Kel. Nine goals in his last 10 games. Getzlaff, 17 points in his last 11 games. And on a couple shows ago, we talked about how Getzlaff is having a sneaky good season. And if he was playing an entire 82-game season, he'd be a guy that would be up in the discussion for the Hart Trophy just of how well he's played. And, I mean, we can't say enough about them. And, and, it, and I feel bad leaving Corey Perry kind of off to the side when we're talking about these two guys because he's played well uh, along with them. But it's just, you know, the, who's leading the way? It's Getzlaff and Raquel. I mean, they've just been unstoppable, and, and the Ducks will need them to continue to play this way going into the playoffs. Just to show everybody how good Ricard Raquel has been, Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff combined do not have the goal totals of Ricard Raquel. Um, I mean, that just shows you that they need Raquel more and more and more. And sure, Getzloff's the driver of the offense, absolutely, but you need that trigger man. And Ricard yeah. Raquel's really taken over that spot with 62 points on the season. Just a nice touch from him in this game to get two more points, right? I mean, just keep adding those points up, baby. Keep getting them. Keep rolling and then let the other guys start to wake up here and get the Ducks on a run. Um, like you mentioned, Taylor Hall. Let's talk about the defense here. Completely contained, frustrated Taylor Hall. You could tell. I mean, that that team just – at the end when they pulled Kincaid, they just didn't get anything going. There was yeah. nothing going into the Ducks zone. They, they completely shut down that neutral zone. And it just goes to show you when the Ducks want to play their game, they do. That Fowler-Montour pairing, we've been talking about the same thing. We've been talking about the same five guys. Yeah. We've been talking about the same <laughs> five nine, guys in the past nine games. Nine games. <laughs> Ricardo yeah. Kell, Ryan Gatsoff, Corey Perry, oh, six. John Gibson, and then Fowler and uh, Montour there. This is the team, and these are the guys. And I just can't say enough about how well they shut down that team. They're really going to need to come time for Calgary. But on that blue line now, Eddie, what are the Ducks really going to do without a Josh Manson? This is something that we haven't really had to deal with. I mean, Manson this season has played every game. He's the only duck to have played every game. There's still an opportunity here for us to find out that it was nothing and it's precautionary and he's fine, which we all hope and pray for, for his health, and then in turn also for the Ducks to you know, continue their run with a full lineup. But what is, where does this put Anaheim? It puts him in a difficult position. I mean, they played very well without him, but... You had five guys tonight. You had Fowler and Montour obviously picking up most of the minutes as well. Lindholm played 27 minutes. So you've got three guys who just picked up the lion's share of minutes and replaced Joss Manson in this one. If he's out for the next game, it's got to be Kribinian Holzer who steps in. And if we have to see that for any prolonged period of time, it's going to be an issue. And I think it's kind of dimmed down a bit with how well Fowler and Montour have been playing. You know, if you didn't have them playing at the level they are and we're still relying on Lindholm and Manson as the only decent pairing for the Ducks, it'd be a huge loss, even even though it is already, but it'd be even even, even bigger loss if we didn't have that to fall back on. Because, I mean, the Ducks did a great job already, like you said, that the defense containing Taylor Hall, containing Nico Hischer, 
really just dominating this game, even when they were down to five guys. You know, it's a positive sign, but Josh Manson is such a pivotal piece to that blue line. If you lose him for the rest of the season when you're making, you know, this push and fighting to get in, it's going to be big. And if it's anything longer, and of course we don't know right now, but if, if it comes to the fact that he's missing playoff games, that's that's an even bigger loss for the Ducks because they need that top four of Lintel Manson, Fowler, Montour together if they're going to make any sort of run. No, it's true. I guess the only thing you can pull out of here that is a, a really nice positive is the Ducks played this type of dominant game without Josh Manson. But looking ahead, they're not going to get a, a you know team where every single night that team's going to have one great player and then complimentary guys. I'm not trying to, to bash everyone else on this uh, Devils team, but when you're talking about a Hart Trophy candidate and Taylor Hall who's basically been dragging this team along and you shut him down, uh, you give up a, a power play goal. And you give up another a good look there with Pat Maroon. But, I mean, really overall, this game was just in the Ducks' hands the entire time. But when you're going to be playing a team like, I don't know, you're going to be looking ahead here at Winnipeg, you can't do that. You have to have your full complimentary list of defensemen. And with Josh Manson being one of the best, it's going to be terrifying for the Ducks uh, having to slot in a Bokeshman, Patterson, and Holzer that's going to be something that we haven't seen this season. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to get through that. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to, to sound like a Debbie Downer because I know I do, but that's just how much the Ducks rely on him night in and night out. Yeah, and I think the only positive spin I can put on it, because other than that, it's pretty depressing to think about Josh Manson being out long-term, is the fact that, Montour's minutes have skyrocketed since about the 40-game mark, so he's being relied upon a little bit more. Fowler's always been the minute muncher. Lindholm's always kind of sat a little bit where he is around 23 minutes. And Manson's uh, minutes have kind of gone down, not a lot, but in respective to Montour's going up. So it's not like they've relied on him solely to be the main guy in the blue line. Montour's kind of picked up his play and allowed the pressure to come off John Manson. So it makes his loss a little bit easier but by no means is it an ideal situation to lose him at this point because that Lindholm Manson pairing is so key to the Ducks success and yes they've been struggling as of late but there's still that reliable pair you can always go to and say these two guys are going to be good together and you can put them out in the tough situations if they're going to be able to get things done and I don't want to think about it to be honest I don't think anybody wants to think about him not being here for an, any extended period of time. Well, just to put a, a little end on the cap of this, I was scrolling through Twitter right now on my computer because I'm like, I know there's got to be an update from RC because someone's going to ask him in the media scrum after the game. And sure enough, Eric Stevens writes, breathe, because someone said, any update on Manson? I was at the game, didn't see what happened. Is there an incident? What about him for April? And the first word was breathe, period. <laughs> Evaluated again tomorrow. Randy Carlisle believes he'll go on the road trip, but the next 24 hours are key. Ducks don't practice until Tuesday before flying. So there's the small update, and that's the typical, hey, we're not going to tell you anything other than we think he's okay, but we're going to find out tomorrow. That, to me, makes me think that it's a a head, a head injury, rather. Yeah. Um, if they're going to have to wait and see if he's foggy, see if he has headaches, which, God, I hope not. But um, sounds like that's what they think, but they feel like – at the same time, almost like they held him out for precautionary reasons. How do you read into that? I know they're just it's a it's a sentence, but I mean that's what I pull from it. 
Yeah, I want to believe that he was held up for precautionary reasons, but it's tough to say that. I mean, it's easier to to kind of make that speculation if it's late in the game or it's halfway through the second and the Ducks are playing the way they are. But he left so early, and the Ducks were up 2-0 at the time, but it's kind of, uh, I feel like it's kind of early to make that call. And, and obviously I'm not the coach, or I'm not anybody making that decision. Uh, and maybe it was kind of borderline, so they said, hey, you might as well just sit out. Uh, we're in a good position here, and we'll try and hold on without you. I'm hoping it's that. I really don't know, because we don't know. I mean, if we knew if it was a shoulder or a hand or a head injury or something, we could at least make some speculation. But even from the plays that we've seen, there's no real telling clip or audio or anything that really says what the injury could be. And we're just in that position that nobody likes to be in, where we have to just sit here and wait for an update, because we know that sometimes those updates don't come for a couple days. Yeah, we'll have to find out. We'll definitely have more information in our post-game show on Wednesday, obviously. But uh, let's get on here to the playoffs right now. Let's talk about the standings. The Ducks slot back in, which we've all been waiting for to happen. They've turned on you know, playoff mode and go 3-0 and in their last three games, which is good news. We're bumping the Kings down, and the Ducks are going up. That's exactly what we want to see, Eddie. Uh, if the playoffs started today... Where would the Ducks be and who would they play? Let's do you have that up? It'd be San Jose, right? Yeah, it'd be San Jose. Unfortunately, San Jose would have home ice advantage, but hey, at least you're you're in and you're not facing Nashville or Vegas, so that's kind of a bonus, I guess. I mean, you go from not playing them to playing San Jose at home, and San Jose has been playing excellent ever since the trade deadline and acquiring Evander Kane, who had four goals last night. So take it as it is. I think everybody's happy that we're in a playoff spot and even happier that they've moved in front of the Kings. Obviously, the Kings have one game in hand and the Ducks' row is not in the best spot it could be because I feel like no matter what, even if they win out in regulation, you're still going to have Dallas, Colorado, and LA leading them in that category, which is the tiebreaker. So the Ducks kind of hold their own destiny in a bit because they do play LA and they do play Colorado and Dallas. So you've got those three key games where you can pick up those big points. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about a matchup against San Jose with San Jose having home ice advantage? I don't love it, but I don't hate it. And yeah. I feel like if they're going to get in, <laughs> that's the team they're going to play. Yeah. Because I'm, I would hate to write them off if they get in a wild card spot. But to go up against the likes of Winnipeg or Nashville in the first round, as we've talked about before, it's, I don't know, man, that's not a good a good start for the Ducks. They would have to, I mean, get a get them a playoff series win under their belt before you throw them into a team like that. Get the confidence going, get the guys loose, get them in playoff mode there. I would love a matchup against the Kings. Like, love a matchup against the Kings. I feel like the Ducks would be able to play them really well and probably beat them in the first-round matchup there, and it would be nasty and fun hockey. But this San Jose team is all of a sudden turning it on, and they're not an easy team. They're not going to roll over and die. The Ducks don't play them the rest of the season. The Sharks led the season series 3-0-1. Sure, those games were close. They were, you know, all oh, a couple of them were one-goal games, but three of them went to a shootout, and one of them was a game where the Ducks dominated but lost 6-2. to two. Um, I feel like that San Jose team is scarier than we think they are. They've been quietly decent. I wouldn't say they're a great team, but they're definitely dangerous since uh, Evander Kane has come over. Like you said, he's made the most of his time in San Jose and is definitely earning, as we've been talking about with Brandon Montour, another contract. How exciting 
would a Ducks versus Sharks playoff matchup be, though? I mean, it's not something we really see. I don't have we ever seen that. I feel like it's just pretty bad that yep. I don't know. I think it was would have been back a little bit farther back, right? That we saw it was when we had Jonas Hiller. Yeah, Getzloff and Joe Thornton fought off the opening face-off of what I think was Game 6 or Game 7. Yeah, so, I mean, it would be exciting. I'd like to see it because we haven't really, we don't see it that often, and I feel like Ducks and Sharks rivalry is a little bit underrated because you've got the the big rivalry against the Kings, and you've got the underrated ones against Calgary, and from what we saw lately, Detroit as well. I kind of welcome it. I don't. I mean, they're the tougher opponent. Yes, I don't think they're going to play the Kings because I feel like Kings either get in the wild card or they swap position with the Ducks, and one of them either misses the playoffs or just squeaks in on the wild card based on how the Central teams do. So we're either going to see a Kings Sharks or Ducks Sharks matchup, and I think it would be exciting. I mean, the games are always close, like you'd mentioned, and I you know the matchup is tough. And, you know, you never really know what you're going to get with San Jose's goaltending. But it would just be so exciting. I feel like it would be like a, just a, a great seven-game series that would go right down to the wire. I think it would be great hockey. And hopefully the Ducks would be able to come out with a win. Well, it was 2009 these teams last played each other in the playoffs. The Ducks were the road team. They won the first two games in HP Pavilion. They left San Jose up 2 nothing. And then the Sharks would come into Anaheim and win. And then would, the Ducks would come back and win. And then it would go to San Jose and then go to Anaheim. And the Ducks would close them out in six. Um, just, I don't, I don't know. I think it would be good hockey. It would be exciting. It would be nasty. I think you would see a lot of physicality in these games. And probably some dirty play. You're talking about two teams that, are, that just don't like each other in general. I feel like uh, a Kings-Sharks matchup would be way more exciting for me to watch because I want to see those teams beat up on each other. But then that would mean the Ducks would have to play yeah. <laughs> Winnipeg <laughs> or Nashville, which I'm not really looking forward to either. But um, sure, I would take it. I still don't know if the Ducks get out alive in that series. If they play the way that they're capable of playing, um, I would think a real good test for them coming up will be their next homestand. That'll give give you a really a really good read on how they're going to be going because they're playing L.A., Colorado, uh, Minnesota, and Dallas. All playoff teams or teams fighting for the playoffs, and that's when you're really going to get an idea of how they're going down the stretch. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's such a, a weird spot to be in because we're not used to it, like we said on the last show, where the Ducks are kind of in the spot where we don't really know where they're going to finish, whether it be outside the playoffs in the wild card, where they're facing. Vegas or Nashville or getting into that last spot and playing San Jose and there's still a chance they could get home ice advantage it's not like they're out of it I mean they're three points behind San Jose San Jose has that one game in hand not doesn't look likely that San Jose is gonna start losing games anytime soon I mean they're 7-2-0 since the trade deadline and acquiring Evander Kane and he's been a big part of their success lately but there's there's a chance there's a chance, slim chance, that the Ducks can get in and get home ice advantage, which would be huge. And I mean, there's this even slimmer chance that we see a Ducks versus King for Ducks versus Kings first round matchup. But any anybody they face, whether it be Vegas, whether it be Nashville, San Jose, L.A., it's not going to be easy. And you're going to face one or the other in the first or the second round if the Ducks make it. I feel like this is a team built for this type of hockey, and we've heard. I mean, Pierre LeBron mentioned it. Right, I think it was at the trade deadline where he said, "You know, this is a team who could make some noise if they get in." And I still think 
a lot of people believe that. I think the Ducks believe that from what we've seen, especially in the last two games, the just the nastiness that they love to play in those types of games. I think this time of year suits this team. No, I think it does as well. You, you, we were talking about that earlier about you know, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzloff. I'll get into it. But let's talk about a former Anaheim Duck who does not play for the New Jersey Devils, Wild Bill, or as everyone else knows him now, as William Carlson. 39 goals. Wow. 39 yeah. goals for the Vegas Golden Knights. He had a natural hat trick. Terrible to not have him. Who's to say how you would perform here on Anaheim this season? Um, I, would, I can't wait to see what his numbers are next season. I hope it's not a blip on the radar for him because I like him as a player. He had six goals all of last year. Where the hell is he getting 39? How is he doing yeah. what he's doing? How is he in the Rock Hopper Shark conversation right now? How is But the, the real question is how is Vegas doing what they're doing? And I think everybody on that team is kind of part of that discussion. But, yeah, I mean, you said he had six goals last year. It's not like he only played... 40 games, 30 games. He played 81 games, and he had six goals with 25 points. He had nine goals in 81 games the season before that. So a guy who was more seen as a playmaking type of guy, a guy that's probably only going to ever hit 20 if he's lucky, and then out of nowhere gets picked up by Vegas at the expansion draft and is sitting one goal shy of 40, which he'll I mean, he'll probably hit. I mean, he's, he's just scoring at an insane rate for Vegas. And he sits four behind the tied leaders in Ovechkin and Patrick Line. For him to even be in the same category as those two in Evgeny Malkin is just insane. I don't think anybody expected this. No way did Vegas expect him to be one of their best two players behind Marsh or so. Like him and Marshall have just been unbelievable. I agree with you. I hope it's not just a blip for him. But I just you can't help but feel like it is. Because this is the only season where he's been considered an elite goal scorer, I'm ex- I'm interested to see how he does next year. I'm, I'm really Vegas as a whole how they do next year because I feel like a lot of guys are overperforming on that team, and they could be similar to what we've seen in the past with with Columbus that one year where they were just insane and everybody was overperforming on that team, and then the next season they missed the playoffs. So we'll have to see. I'm happy for his success. I wish he was having, He had 39 goals for the Ducks right now. I think that would be huge for this team. They need a guy like that to, to kind of complement what Raquel's done. But who's to say he would have even done that if he was still with Anaheim? Well, let's just say he's probably going to fall down to earth. He has yeah. his first three games in the NHL. He was shooting at 20%. He only played three games, had one goal. Second season, 8%, 8.3 with Anaheim, two goals. In 18 games, and as you said, nine goals and then six goals respectively for the last two years in Columbus. He was shooting 8.3 percent and 6.3. He's shooting 23.8 percent right now oh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. That's he's sustainable, killing. right? That's yeah. <laughs> we wish. So he's definitely going to see a dip in performance eventually, unless he's a freak and just is able to maintain that insane pace. But I mean, it's rare when a player has that high of a shooting percentage in the NHL for long term. It's usually like elite level guys. I wonder, he's got to be coming up on the end of his entry level contract, right? I don't I don't want to make this a Vegas Knights podcast. I get we have the tie with William Carlson to Anaheim, but I'm going to check cap friendly really quick because I'm very curious cuz this it's is when guys get overpaid. Yeah. Well, they right? they just they just paid March show and I don't think he got I, they overpaid for him at all because this is now his second or even close to his third good season in the National Hockey League, but I'm pulling it up at the same time here. 
So William Carlson. Oh he, no, he signed a two-year, one million dollars season deal. He is up for a new contract after the season, though. After okay, okay, so he must have signed that deal with what Columbus then? Yes. And, oh yeah. no, his signing team was Anaheim, three-year deal. Oh, okay. Well, 2013, 2014, and then um, I felt like he was yeah, younger yeah, yeah. than three, you're right. His three-year contract was with Anaheim, and now he got traded. And then his two-year deal was with Columbus. You're right. Okay. Well, he's getting paid, for sure, at the end of this season. He's going to get something. He's going to be making more than a million bucks a year. Vegas doesn't care, though. <laughs> I mean, they've got Grabowski's insane $5 million contract coming off. They've got James Neal coming off his $5 million contract, which I, I don't know if they re-sign him or not. They've got Spiza. Coming off a of three point six, Stoner coming off a of three point two. We all remember Stoner. Jason Garrison coming on off a of three point five. They've got massive salary coming off the book, so they can just throw the money at William Carlson if they want to. I'd be wary of giving him an extended deal. I mean, what looking at where's uh, where's Marshall showing here? I don't want to continue extending this, but he had a five year, five million dollar deal. I feel like Carlson probably gets something around that, if not more. That's Scary money to throw at a guy who's had one good season. Good on him, man. I wish yeah. I was uh, overperforming at my job and making a ton more money. <laughs> yeah, and, you know what I mean. I had one great year. My boss is like, "Yeah, we're going to double your salary. How about <laughs> triple it?" <laughs> and we'll guarantee the money. How's that too? Yeah. So good on him, man. I hope he gets it. Um, did we have any uh, any comments in the chat tonight? Or, or, or we, we did. I'm going to grab the ones on uh, Twitter first because I've, they've been sitting open on my phone for like the last ten minutes. So we had um, kind of already mentioned this a bit. We'll, we'll go over it. So Matthew on Twitter asked if Anaheim makes the playoff, which team would you prefer to play against between San Jose, Vegas, and Nashville? Um, I would say San Jose. It's tough, but I don't want to face Nashville at all, and I'm still not sure I'd want to face Vegas, especially going in and playing possibly four games uh, in Vegas. So I would, by a slight margin, pick San Jose. I would, in, in this order, San Jose, Vegas, and Nashville. Exactly yeah. the way you read them, exactly the way I'd want to play them. The only way I'd argue is maybe you like, you might want to get Nashville out of the way first and just say, hey, well, like, oh, if, we can beat, if we can beat Nashville. <laughs> I'm just arguing on the other side of the fence here. I mean, if you beat Nashville right out of the gate, then you're, you know, you're, you're set up, you're revved up, you beat arguably the best, one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, and you're, you're ready to go, and now you, you've got what, probably... Well, you'd be in the you'd be in the central bracket after that, would you not? So you'd be oh you, oh god, never mind. You'd be play, facing Winnipeg probably second round. So <laughs> that's a tough go. I'm gonna I'm gonna scrap that. I did not think that through. So yeah, definitely gonna <laughs> say San Jose, Vegas, and and Nashville. Uh, all right. So moving on, question because I don't want to sound like an idiot if I continue talking about that. We have uh, Randall on Twitter. He said, "How come the Ducks didn't show up to such a big game?" He this was a little foreshadowing from him. So he's saying, I hope it's not true. Obviously, it ended up not being true, but we can talk about it a bit, how some people have said the Ducks kind of play down to their opponents. We've seen that in some games. Again, the game that always comes back to memory for me is not the last game against Detroit, but the one before that that they lost, I believe, 2-1, yep. to one, where they just played awful, and they played down to Detroit's level. We've seen that multiple times. I don't know how you feel. I think we've seen it on enough occasions to say it kind of is a thing for the Ducks. But then they come out in these three games and look clearly the better team. Do you like bringing up that game because it irritates me so much to remember that Kevin Bieksa gave the puck away to Dylan Larkin? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like it just stands kind of out 
in my like, head. Over nine games, we've <laughs> talked about that several times, and it just drives me nuts because that memory replays in my head over and over. It's like a, a nightmare loop. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I This team is really hard to figure out. Yeah. It really is. Everyone kept saying in the first half of the season, wait till they're healthy, wait till they're healthy, wait till they're healthy. And when they're healthy, look out. When they're healthy, you know, they're going to be a great team. And then that turned out to be the case. You know, they come out and uh, off the gate in 2018 on fire. They're rolling. And then you have just stinkers left and right. And you have games they don't show up for. Um, but every team does that. I, I feel like there's always a, a period of time where teams just you, to hold up that style of play playing at elite levels for an extended period of time and like rolling through teams for months it just takes a lot of luck and a lot of elite play at the same time you get you need both and eventually elite level of play drops down or luck runs out and i feel like on some of those games um you face a team that's just exponentially better than you and i felt like that's where the ducks played against nashville they're just better than the ducks they are and they were on that night by far the Ducks yeah. are going to need their best games if they're going to be facing a team like that in the playoffs. And I feel like that, you know, where you don't see this often is reserved for the elite level teams in the National Hockey League. So the Nashvilles and the Winnipegs and Tampa Bay and in Vegas to some extent as well. Even though they even saw Boston. a little, yeah, and even Vegas saw a little dip in their play for a bit. But I feel like the Ducks are in that kind of area where. If you know, we watch them enough, so we see it. But I'm sure if you watch some other teams around, the, the Leafs are a good example as well. They were struggling for a bit as well. They almost fell out of the third spot in the Atlantic, and now they've picked things back up and are looking pretty good. But they're a team right in that same kind of category as the Ducks, where they're not necessarily in that elite five teams, but they're kind of on the borderline uh, looking in. And I think that's, you know, if you watch some of those teams in their play as of late, it's kind of similar. A lot of teams do it. But the fact that we all watch Ducks games 90% of the time, most people just watch Ducks games anyway. We just see it on a nightly basis, and we think, wow, this is the only thing that happens to the Ducks. But it happens to all teams, and and we see it all the time. We see it with teams in the similar positions to the Ducks, and the only teams who really don't see that kind of dip, again, is those elite five or six teams. And just to make it clear how scary Nashville is, and everyone knows I don't like them, but their f- record is 47-14-10. They have 104 yeah. points. <laughs> they that clinched they uh, the other night, points too. on the board. Yeah. They, left, they have left 10 points. We always talk about Anaheim leaving 12 points on the board that they could have picked up in between overtime and shootout. Nashville could have 114 right now. That's how good this team is. Mm-hmm. So just throwing it out there, when, I'm, when, when, you're, when you're talking about how elite-level teams play, Nashville this season has been on, on another level. Granted, the playoffs are a different story, and they're a tournament in their own. Um, and you, you see it happen all the time when you talk about a first seed getting bumped out by an eighth. That could definitely happen. Um, you just ask Washington how many times they've been able to escape first and second rounds. <laughs> yeah. Just a great team, and then in their great season. It's not that Anaheim doesn't have a chance. I, I just don't feel like they play as well as that team. Um, but I could definitely feel people would see that. I would agree with you. But I, I sometimes I just feel like against those good teams, you just can't beat them. Yeah, yeah, and Nashville is just in that category above and the Ducks are going to see one of those teams we consider in the elite in Winnipeg on this road trip, so that's going to be a huge test to see if they can play up that up to that level because Line has now continued his point streak, and he's on a 15-game point streak. Two goals, goals tonight. Yeah, tied with Ovechkin now. So you're looking at that, Shifley, Wheeler. You know, you're looking at an elite team there with another guy in net who's considered a guy who's not getting enough recognition for the Vezina and Connor Hellebuck. 
big battle between two young American goaltenders between Gibson and Hellebuck. We'll get into that in a little bit when we at the end of the show when we look ahead at the Ducks' couple games coming up. But we still have a couple questions here. Uh, one more left on Twitter before we get into the chat. We had uh, Chase on Twitter who said, what kind of contract, term, and money do you think Montour, Kasha, and Richie get this offseason? I'll let you lead off with this one. Um, so he's an RFA, right? Yeah. Um, and he's got his UFA years coming up in a couple in a couple more seasons. And I feel like the Ducks, if, if they were smart, I think that they would try to get him on a long-term deal, low dollar. The hard part about that is, is Montour and his agent aren't dumb, and they know that they can get bigger money if he continues to play well when he's a UFA. So if the Ducks want to keep him long-term, they're going to have to up the bounty by giving him more money per season because they're going to be chewing up his his, his beginning of his um, unrestricted free agency time in his career. I think he gets a bridge deal. I think the Ducks um, are going to want to see more than one great season out of him. And I don't think they're going to be able to go to bat with enough enough money. And that's not Bob Murray's style, just to give a bunch of money to a guy coming off an ELC, right? Yeah. So I feel like he's going to get a bridge deal, a couple million bucks, maybe 2 to $3 million I would suspect he'd be at. And he'd probably get a two-year deal out of it. Yeah, I think Richie, definitely bridge deal. Just to kind of sum it up real quick, because we got some other questions in chat. I think Kasha, definitely a candidate for a bridge deal, because I feel like... That's a good play for him if they think he can continue his play and really pick things up in the next couple seasons. I think they probably want to avoid any kind of Ricard Raquel type of contract where you know now he's a 60, 70 point guy and he's only getting paid three and a half million dollars. Not to say Cash is going to get up to that level, but you know you it's uh, you can see that and and I feel like it's probably a, a two or a three year deal for Cash. Montour is the interesting one for me. Because we had said bridge deal, bridge deal, bridge deal up until, I guess now, and, and the way he's been playing and how well he's worked with Brand, uh, with Cam Fowler. And uh, that's going to be the most interesting contract for me because I could see them going long term, like a five or a six year deal locked up around you know four, four and a half, which would be a big haul for him. Or maybe they just go for that two year deal uh, at a lower value and hope that he can continue progressing and command even higher than that. But to me, I feel like now, just the way he's been playing, the fact he's playing good with, with Fowler, and that could be a, a pairing we see it for a long time in Anaheim, I kind of move towards the four- to six-year deal as in term for Brandon Montour. If he's getting four- to six years, that means you're going to see like a four- to five-million-dollar contract. Yeah, you're gonna exactly. see You're going to see a Stanley Vatnin contract, a Josh mm-hmm. Manson contract. Um. I That's don't even tough. know. Like I have to, I I have to look at Cap Friendly, and I feel bad saying I don't know, but I don't know even know if the Ducks could afford that right now with some of the guys. I'm sure they could with BXA coming off his contract, but then you still have to take into account that Manson and Fowler's extensions are coming into play, and eventually Eves is going to come off the long term injured reserve. So all that plays into whatever contract Montour gets as well. So you're looking at contracts to fall off. I know that we've talked, for those of you who listened to us since the beginning, we've talked about this before, but I want to answer this question. Um, Jason Chimera falls off. Antoine Vermette, uh, Chris Kelly, JT Brown, Nick Ritchie, Andre Kasha, Derek Grant, Kevin BXO, Francois Boschman, Brandon Montour. Those are the guys that are UFAs and RFAs. And they are RFAs, Brandon Montour, Nick Ritchie, Andre Kasha. Chimera, no. Vermette, no. Chris Kelly, no. JT Brown, we all hope that he stays on. Uh, we'd like to see him slot in. 
But uh, who knows how, what this Ducks team is going to be thinking here. We we all agree, you and I would definitely agree that Derek Grant's getting a contract, right? Yeah, probably um, a little small raise too, like a one and a half million dollar deal, something around what Vermette's making right now. Sure. And then you're looking at on defense, Kevin Bieksa. Uh, we said we could see him getting a one million one one year deal. Uh, yeah. Francois Boschman said he's going to retire there. So you get a little bit of money off. But as you reminded me when we talked about the contracts before, you're like, yeah. But Manson's going from eight hundred and twenty-five thousand to four point one million. That's a huge jump. And then Cam Fowler's contract also kicks in from four million to six point five. So you're talking about like four, like about six and a half million dollars, and almost right. It's about yeah. going up. So they don't have a ton of money to work with, but they need to find a way to to make it work for them. They're either going to have to move somebody, but to get Brandon Montour in long term, they're going to have to ride the cap again. Yeah, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because there's there's a lot of salary coming off and a lot of salary getting bumped up in extensions. Even Cogliano with his small 250k play, his boost in that that sense kind of plays a role in what the Ducks are going to do. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I'm going to move on to the chat because we're getting we're getting a little long here. We still got some questions in the chat, so just going to scroll through here. Uh, we already mentioned this. Gordon asked what happened exactly to Josh Manson. Dustin kind of confirming that and, and going a little bit in depth. He said, hopefully Manson is okay, but if he has to miss some time with BX of being out, do you think Carlisle will put Holzer in or bring up a D-man from the goals? We can quickly answer this. I feel like he puts Holzer in, maybe calls up a guy from the goals for cover, but Holzer seems to be the most likely option right now. Yeah, he brought him up. He's going to play him. Yeah. I, that's what I feel like it's going to be like. If Manson's out for any amount of games, you're going to see Holzer in. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like hopefully it wouldn't be for any prolonged period of time. But uh, that seems to be the, uh, the most likely situation here. Uh, Chase going off of what Montour said. Not a question, but just saying depending on, on the contract Montour gets, he's going to get his jersey next season because he's become one of his favorite players. I think not just with his play lately, but just you know the type of player he is, the type of guy he is off the ice. I think he's become a lot of people's favorite. Uh, let's see here. Chase bringing up the play where Getzlaff shoved off Hitcher off the puck with one hand and just muscled him to the ground. Didn't get, didn't care that he's a, a first overall pick. Just throwing him to the ice. Uh, that's a good move. <laughs> that's a very Getzloff move. So here, a good question here from Gordon. Uh, Gordon Bombay in the chat said, "Whose upcoming schedule is more difficult, Anaheim or LA?" I'm gonna have to bring up LA's schedule to answer that question. I'm going to guess just without looking, I feel like it's probably L.A.'s, even though the Ducks have some tough games coming up. Their schedule is relatively light compared to a lot of other teams right now. So let me bring up uh, let me bring up L.A.'s schedule here. So L.A. See. doesn't have an easy one. No. So they've got uh, Minnesota. Uh, was, yeah, so Minnesota today. So I'm looking at it at the time, and it's, it's 1.18 a.m. here, and I saw it was the 19th. I thought they played tonight. So you got Minnesota today, <laughs> uh, Winnipeg on Tuesday. Colorado on Thursday, then Edmonton, Calgary, Arizona, the Ducks, then Colorado, Minnesota, and Dallas. So we talked about the Ducks playing a lot of teams right in around that playoff spot. LA's in the same boat, which we usually see anyway, because a lot of these teams are coming to the West Coast and they're going to be playing Anaheim, LA, and San Jose. I feel like it's almost comparable. I mean, they play a lot of the same teams. I might give a slight edge uh, to LA and it being a little bit more difficult because... You know, they're, they're playing Minnesota twice, I believe. They play Colorado twice. Then they've got... And they got back-to-backs. Yeah, a lot of back-to-backs where the Ducks don't have any. So they have the back-to-back Monday, Tuesday. 
Uh, and they have the back-to-back, I think, uh, Thursday, Friday against Arizona and Anaheim. So they've got two they have to deal with. Which is good for the Ducks because that means they're going to pick up L.A. On, on the second half of a back-to-back and the Ducks are home. So, yeah. yeah, I would say L.A. has the tougher schedule for sure. And they're you know they're playing playoff-ready teams right away. Those first three, Minnesota, Winnipeg, and Colorado, I mean, they're going to all going to be fighting for it. So I would say L.A. has got the tougher chance. Yeah, and, and kind of going off the schedule here for the Ducks, uh, D. Hef asked, what's your prediction for this four-game Canada trip? He said the Ducks are going to go 3-0-1, overtime loss to the Jets. That would be ideal, uh, but it's going to be tough. I, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think they, they go on this four-game trip? I mean, look, they have to win Wednesday yeah. against Calgary. That's a must-win. That's a, uh, a team that's fighting to stay alive in, in, in the playoff race, and they're going to bring the nasty game. They're going to play heavy. They're going to go for hits. They've already been cheap shotting away. You know, Cam Fowler and the Ducks have been involved with this team over and over again, talking playoff hockey. Calgary and, and the Ducks hate each other, have I said before. You can't miss this game if you're a Ducks fan. You have to watch. Um, but they need to come prepared. They, yeah. I mean, they really, really, really do. I can't stress that enough. Um, that if, if you're going to play a playoff-ready team, you have to you know, just play them hard. And they can't sit back in Calgary on the road. I feel like they're going to win that game, though. It's the Ducks' style of game that they love to play. And then you're going to go into, into Winnipeg. And that it will be the first true, true test. Um, I feel like the Ducks, now that they can't beat Winnipeg, but Winnipeg is really, really good. And there's some guy on that team with a nasty beard named Patrick Laine who keeps scoring and keeping up in the Rocket Richard race. I would have to peg them as a loss there. And then I feel like they should beat Edmonton, and they should definitely roll over Vancouver. So I would agree with this prediction there. I think they go three and one. Yeah, and, and I feel this kind of the same way about that Winnipeg game. I mean, they have three days off before they go and they play Anaheim for that game as well. I mean, no, I know sometimes that works against a team, but I feel like it's going to be too much. And and I feel like that's the only one you can kind of chalk up as as being either a close game or a loss for Anaheim because they really should come out and play well. I mean, they catch Edmonton on the back to back as well. Edmonton plays LA on the Saturday. And then they play Anaheim on the Sunday, so that's a good thing as well. They play uh, Calgary the first game. Both teams are going to have some rest. Like you said, that's a must win. And then you've got uh, the Winnipeg game with some rest. And then the last one against Vancouver, you also uh, – well, sorry, you catch Vancouver with a day of rest, and the Ducks have a day of rest, so that will be an interesting one. But really, I mean, realistically, Vancouver should be a win. Edmonton yep. – Barring a insane effort for Connor McDavid, which we were, I'm not going to put past him because he's an insane player, that should be a win as well. Calgary game's a little bit closer, but the Ducks, it's a must win for the Ducks. Not that it should be a win based on, on the two teams, but it has to be a must win with the way the standings are. And uh, the toughest game, again, I think everybody's going to say this, is going to be the game against the Jets. So I would I would agree. Would you have, I think, an ideal situation definitely is 3-0-1. I mean, you're picking up points yeah. in every game. 3-1-0. Um, isn't awful if you're losing that game against the Jets. Uh, that's still a good thing, but you don't want to come out of this uh, with leaving a lot of points again on the boards against, especially against teams like Edmonton and Vancouver. I agree. We got any more in the chat? Uh, yeah, like I think two more. So we had a right, chase. The, I don't want to cut anybody off, but we are getting a little long on the show. Let's get yeah. those last two in. Yeah, we'll get them last ones in quick. So Chase asking if the Ducks make a dumb decision of not re-signing Kasha, does that set up Terry or Steele to take a spot next season? Sure, I think so. Yeah. If they don't, I don't see why they wouldn't give him a, a contract. Um, 
he's been a good player. He's hit a bit of a, a bit of a cold streak, but that whole line's been kind of cold. Um, if you don't count a couple of places where they've been able to score, uh, I know last game they turned it on a little bit against the Red Wings, Richie with a goal. Um, and then Kasha and Henrique got assists in that game. So sure they had one good game, but I think he really needs to turn it on. The playoffs always help your contract talks. If you're able to perform when it's, when it's a must need situation. So we'll see how he does here down the stretch and, and when the ducks make the playoffs, how he does there. But um, I definitely, yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, I, I really feel like Steele would be the guy to come up. Yeah, it, it will definitely be interesting. I, I don't think they, probably they don't, uh, sorry, the likely situation is they do resign cash. The only way he's not here is if he was involved in some type of trade, which I still don't think is likely. Uh, the interesting thing is even if Terry ends up signing with the team or not, um, Denver's in the playoffs right now in the NCAA. Uh, his season could end as early as that first game because it's a, a win and you're in kind of situation in uh, how their playoffs are set up so if his season's done we might not maybe we might see him he could be one of the black aces for the ducks it'll be interesting to see how that works out uh last two things in the chat tyler just kind of confirmed what we were talking about with nashville saying maybe he would like to see us kind of fly in and play nashville because it's always tough for that team who who does so well during the regular regular season to kind of continue that success and all the pressures on them going into the playoffs and then the last one, uh, Derek, with a question. He said, besides the power play goal tonight, what do you guys think we need to do to be more consistent and have more success on the power play? Shoot the puck. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Shoot simple. Shoot the puck yeah. more. For me, it is. I mean, I, that's the dumbest, most cliche thing ever, right? We said that last show. I think I said, you know, put the puck on that, score some goals. You know, it's the uh, Jim Fox from the Kings. He always says that, and I always make fun of him for it. But when you're talking about the Ducks power play, they, they really need it. They really yeah. need to get those pucks on net. And, I mean, that's obviously how you score goals. But, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of pretty passing. And they've been able, unable to convert, except for tonight, when you're talking yeah. about that one-touch pass, no look from Getzloff over to Montour. Uh, go ahead and hit that bell. Eddie, I don't know if it was like six or seven times I've said that tonight already Yeah, about yeah. Getzloff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's how I feel about it. They need to get the, find a way to get the puck on net and crash. They're big bodies. That's how you create chances, too. you got to outman the other team. You have the extra guy. Yeah, and we talked about it on the last show where they kind of just need that guy to shoot the puck on the power play for things to really turn around. Uh, they always look for the pretty pass, and and then you know we get a goal like this where Getzloff makes that great pass to Montour, and we're like, oh, things are changing around, and then we kind of get fooled, and we see the next few power plays where nothing really happens because they don't have that designated shooter. I think that could change things around if they have a guy doing that, whether that be Montour like we talked about from uh, the top of the circle or be a guy like Raquel. Just some guy to shoot the puck. You look at some of the top power plays in the National Hockey League. They've got guys, trigger guys, ready to go. And, I mean, the Ducks don't have a line A or an Ovechkin on their team to do that. But those teams know what they're going to do when they're on the power play. They know who they're going to. They have a setup that they're ready to go. And they're always going to line A. They're always going to Ovechkin. And I think, you know, the Ducks can maybe work a guy like that into the system. I think Raquel could be a go-to guy for sure. I mean, he's the top goal scorer on the Ducks right now. He should be the go-to guy on the power play to shoot the puck. Yeah, we've said it all season. Put him in that spot to, to get success, or even Montour, get him down there in that low, uh, low-hanging circle, like uh, like a la Ovi, and see what he can do. Yeah, but uh, yeah, get some shots on that. All right, well let's uh, let's wrap this up because we're uh, we're pushing into an hour twenty now, and I don't think we you and me thought it would even get this long. No, so let's talk about what we have coming up uh, real quickly here. We have Paul Campbell coming in. He's a writer for In Goal Media, also a contributor to Sportsnet and The Athletic and Sporting News. He's in to talk about some Gibby and Vesna stuff. 
Uh, we're excited to have him on the show. He will be on the Wednesday night show. So you guys should stay tuned and look forward to hearing from him and all the love we've had about John Gibson is going to come out and where that's what we're going to be talking about here, right? We're talking about goaltending yeah. and our love for the for the position for Anaheim. That's going to be a fun one because we have been talking a lot about John Gibson and the Vezina and his play as of late. And, and Paul is really a proponent of him being a guy who should be up higher in the discussion, almost maybe just right behind Pekka Rinne. Uh, in the Vezina discussion, which is definitely going to be an interesting one. Uh, it's definitely going to be a Homer podcast because we're going to be hitting on John Gibson and giving him a lot of praise, which which he deserves. I mean, for sure he deserves it. He's going to be right up in that discussion with, with Rene, and it'll be a lot, a lot of goalie talk. So if you love John Gibson, if you believe he should be in the discussion for the Vezina, which based off our tweet the other day you do, then definitely turn in for tune in for that Wednesday show. Tune into the chat, get some questions in. Definitely get a little nerdy on me, some analytics too. So good stuff coming up uh, for the Wednesday show. That'll be the the end of the night for us, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody who comes into the chat, who hits us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we love you guys. And uh, we can't thank you all enough for participating with us. Uh, it's been a massive success for Eddie and I to do this the past nine games. And we got plenty more to talk about for the rest of the season. If you guys wouldn't mind, please go to iTunes real quick if you haven't already. Click subscribe, click you like our show, and if you have an extra 15 seconds to write a great thing about us, we'd love to hear from you on iTunes. It helps spread the word and get us brought up when people are looking for duck shows or hockey shows. So we really would appreciate a review there. And that's it for us. We hope you guys have a great night, and we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Never miss a moment of Caps action with Monumental Sports Network. Stream live games with stat tracking and multiple camera angles. Witness Ovi's chase for 894. And with new shows like Hometown with Rachel Nichols, access to archive games, and so much more. Experience unmatched access to your favorite team on any device at any time. Visit watchmonumental.com to learn more.